After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven, were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Uh, Mark, I think it's, it's you next. Thanks. Then I saw in the, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures, 
and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Mark and Rebecca, thanks so much for reading first. Uh, the question we are going to consider this lunchtime is this, uh, who holds the future? Uh, who holds the future? See, the, the corporate world is obsessed with future-proofing itself. Uh, some of you I know uh, works in the finance industry who spend a lot of time doing financial models, all in bid to predict the future. Uh, companies as well, they invest heavily in R&D in order to secure future profits. Uh, it's not uh, just the corporate world as well, but we ourselves, I think we are obsessed with future-proofing. Um, the, the money pot to secure a comfortable retirement or skilling and upgrading ourselves, a good education for our kids to secure their future. And so the question is, well, who holds the future? Well, a couple of options come to mind. Um, many people in the West uh, smirk at the Singapore government for being somewhat authoritative. And there's a grain of truth in that. Uh, they do seem very much in Singapore to hold the future. But the pandemic as well has seen many governments take greater control of its country. And it seems that the country with the greatest vaccine supply, uh, they are the ones who, who hold the future. Or perhaps you might say, well, it's the cultural ideologies of today. And some of you I know as well um, are concerned about where our world is going ideologically. It might be the dominating voice of the woke left. Uh, well, it's a great time uh, in this day and age to identify yourself as L or G or B or T or Q and to be a non-white woman. And it's a bad time uh, today to be straight, uh, perhaps middle or upper class, white men. And there's a real need for, for individuals or cooperations to voice their approvals for these ideologies. Uh, and it shows that perhaps these ideologies, well, it has the control of the future. Or lastly, we might think um, it's, it's me or, or you. Uh, we control our own future. Like old school values such as hard work or determination or our intellect, or our personality, or network, or social class. It is those things that guarantee the future. So let me ask, um, who? Who is it that holds the future? Over the past couple of weeks, I've been uh, trying to persuade all of us that revelation is relevant it's relevant because John's readers, well, they experience the same tensions as we feel today. For them, as they, they look around, the one who holds the future is undeniably clear. 
See, it's the, it's the Roman Empire with their economical might. Uh, the Roman Empire and its political strength and its forced religious, religious harmony. But not just the empire, the social pressure that they face. And for them, virtue signaling wasn't putting a BLM sign on their window, but a statue of the emperor. And joining in, in with all these different acts of society, it guarantees a level of comfort and security. And so revelation is necessary. It's necessary for the seven churches to hear these words. Because as been mentioning, revelation is like giving us a special pair of glasses. If you like, it's heaven's glasses to, to see the world from heaven's perspective. I look at chapter four, verse one. After this, I, John, looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. You see, these glasses that Revelation is providing is providing us a view from heaven. And without these glasses, uh, it's possible to, to cling on to those who appear to hold the future. But when the, the music stops or the mist clears, uh, we can be left clutching at straws. And so that's the question for us to consider. Who holds the future? Uh, one point of orientation before we look at our passage today is uh, this idea of vision time and, and real time. Okay, so there are things that happen in the vision that John is experiencing. And there's a temptation to, to constantly try to decode what's happening in the vision. Uh, when is this, this event happening? Is it going to happen in the future or is it a historical event? And it's true, there are points that the vision does intersect with history. But my encouragement to, to all of us is to, to pause, uh, to, to resist the urge to immediately decode what's happening in the vision. See, because Revelation itself has a plot. Uh, it has an internal storyline. And if we keep trying to decode uh, the vision, we lose the essence of the story. Okay, so that's a point to note with regards to vision time and real time. And so who holds the future? And if you're following on the handout today, we are on our first point. Uh, the Lord God sits on the highest throne. The Lord God, he sits on the highest throne. Uh, let's put on heaven's glasses and look down to me at verse 1. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up. Here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an admiral. Around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Well, what is being presented in front of us is a visual spectacle. 
24 thrones, 24 elders on those thrones with 24 crowns. 12, I think referring to 12 tribes times two, uh, perhaps referring to all of God's people, Jews and Gentiles. And these 24 thrones, they surround the throne, the highest throne. And as you see the one who, who sits on the throne, is the appearance of jewels. Uh, it's visually, it's, it's the sight of weighty glory. But not just a visual spectacle, there's an auditory spectacle. See, from the throne, we, we hear a rumblings and thunder. And around the throne, there were four living creatures uh, who represent all of creation. And in verse 8, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Uh, it's an auditory spectacle. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, but there's more. See, whenever the four living creatures, they cry out, the 24 elders, they, they worship, they bow down, they cast their crowns onto the ground. You hear the crowns clattering on the ground, and they say in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Well, it's a, it's a visual and auditory spectacle. And all of its focus focuses on the one throne, uh, the one who sits on the throne, the Lord God who sits on the highest throne. Uh, the Lord God, he is holy, holy, holy. Uh, repeated for emphasis, he set apart, set apart, set apart. He alone sits on the highest throne. Uh, he alone is the past, present, and future. Verse 8, who was and is, and is to come. And he is worthy of worship. Why? Verse 11, for he created all things, and by his will they existed and were created. It was his decision for the sun and the moon to exist. It was his desire for the earth and waters to come to pass. So it's the, it's the Lord God who, who sits on the highest throne. See, it's not any government. It's not Rome. It's not least the United Kingdom with its leaders and its handling of public funds. It's not your, your line manager. It's not you. It is God, the Lord God who sits on the highest throne. But you see, God, uh, he's not well, he's not just sitting on his throne, uh, chilling. Uh, he's not there just waiting for a foot massage. See, the throne in Revelation, well, it's not static. Uh, one of the major plot lines in the book of Revelation is that the throne is on the move. Uh, the throne is coming to earth. And when it comes and clashes into earth, that is the end. And we will hear the wheels on the throne start to creak. Like the corks will start turning. We will hear the rumblings from the throne getting louder and louder, and the flashes of lightning getting brighter and brighter. And the throne will arrive on earth. But before that, the question is, how will that final day come? And what will bring the throne to earth? And the answer? Oh, it's a scroll. It's a scroll. Look down to this. 1 of chapter 5. 
Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Well, here's my, my makeshift scroll. Um, it's written within, there are some words there, and written on its back as well, and it has seven seals. Um, and the question is, what does the scroll symbolize? I put down a reference there from, from Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. And in Daniel chapter four, 12, verse 4, God, he tells Daniel to, to shut up words in the scroll till the end of time. And so the, the opening of the scroll, removing the seals, well, it's marking the end of time. And that's why John is weeping. I mean, he longs for the end to come. And when no one is worthy to open the scroll, well, he weeps. So the scroll, well, it's symbolic of the future, uh, the end. Uh, what is written inside? But, but before that, who is worthy to open the scroll? Well, look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Do you notice the, the surprise in what uh, John, uh, John writes? Uh, what does John hear in verse 5? He hears one of the elders say to him, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Um, it is him who has conquered. And this image of the lion of the tribe of Judah um, conquering, that should conjure up in your mind a picture of a great military king. But the surprise is what John sees. I look at verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And so what John sees, well, it's describing how what he heard is being accomplished. And what does he hear? He hears that the lion has conquered. But how did the lion conquer? Well, he conquered by being slain. And what happens? Well, as the lamb walks to the throne, well, the future is handed over to the slain lamb. Look at verse 7. And the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And he sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
as the lamb takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne. Uh, He receives control, ownership of the future. Uh, He holds the future in his hand. And it's right for him to hold the future. Um, He is worthy to hold the future. Verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you ransomed people for God. See, the lamb, he, he ransoms a multitude for God's new kingdom. See, one of the big questions in the Old Testament was, how will the nations finally turn to the one true God? And the answer in verse 9 is by the blood of the lamb. He is the means by which God's kingdom is established. He is the means by which God's kingdom is established, and therefore he is worthy. He is also worthy because, well, he's God himself. Remember, God described in chapter 4, the one who was and is and is to come. God is the one who he controls the future. But Jesus, well, he does what God does. Uh, See, God was the one in the exodus to ransom his people. But here the lamb, he is the one who is described to have ransomed people for God. By doing what God was doing, by being ransoming his people for him, well, Jesus proves himself to be God. Uh, he shares the seat on the throne. I uh, see the lamb because he's God himself. By doing what God does, well, he is worthy to hold the future. So do you see the point of what John is saying here? Uh, God is the one uh, who sits on the highest throne. And the future has been handed over to the Lamb. Who holds the future? Well, it's it's Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain. And I suppose that puts all our future proofing efforts into, into perspective. Well, I'm not saying that financial planning or trying to upgrade our skills or a good education and it's all useless for the future. And neither am I saying that we should, you know, sell all and, and live on faith. Um, absolutely not. But what I am saying is that it's useful, it's important for us to have perspective about how much our future-proofing efforts can really accomplish. Because the kind of future that the lamb holds is the, the end-of-the-world future, uh, the kind of future that only he controls. And that is the most important future of all, when God's throne finally arrives on this earth. See, then the pension pot will be of no value. Um, Our intellect, our social network, our personality will be of no value. And it's only security in the lamb that we can be secure for that future. Well, who, who holds the future? Well, it's Jesus. Uh, He holds the future. It's not Rome. It's not any government. Uh, It's not any cultural movement, not emperor worship or the woke left. It's Jesus, the lamb who was slain, uh, the one who is worthy to take the scroll. Two reflections as we we finish our time now. Uh, most Most of us on this call, I guess we would call ourselves Christian. 
And I think my encouragement is it's occasionally it's good to, to pause and to ask ourselves, are we really on the side of the lamb? Uh, do we really recognize him as Lord? Do we recognize that he is the one who sits on the throne with the one true God? Do we recognize that he is the one who holds the future? And so it's a, it's a slight warning for us not to be on the wrong side. But, uh, but for us who do, um, I, I want to encourage us and say that this, uh, well, it's been a real encouragement, uh, personally for me this week as well. And I know for some of you, um, some of you have experienced the, the loss of loved ones um, over the past week or so. I know some of you are concerned about where our culture is going in the next couple of years. I know some of you as well are concerned about your job status. And I know some of you as well are also concerned about your children's future. And the encouragement from our passage today is this, that it is Jesus who holds the future. Uh, he holds the final day future, uh, the final day when the Lord returns. But more than that, because he holds the future, he holds the day-to-day -day future as well. And if we are on his side, there's much to be encouraged. Well, I'm not sure as, um, as Rebecca and Mark was reading, uh, did you notice that in chapters four and five of Revelation, the volume was increasing and increasing and increasing. Uh, in chapter four, at the start, you hear four living creatures cry out praises to God. Uh, by the time you get to verse nine in chapter four, you see the 24 elders join in their praise, praises of God. And come in chapter 5, verse 11, you hear angels, myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of them singing praises to the Lamb. By verse 13, uh, John, he hears every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing praises to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, the volume is, is increasing and increasing. Uh, there's a crescendo that is, that is uh, we are heading towards a crescendo and something big is happening. But what is happening? Oh, chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. About to find out what happens, well, you've got to come back next week. Let me pray for us. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We praise you that he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the one who stands as a lamb as though he was slain. We praise you that his sacrifice has ransomed a people for you. We pray, Father, that we might be on the right side of history. Might we be on the side of the Lamb. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.